I'm Bree, one of the co-founders of Frank Body. Hi, I'm Jess, one of the co-founders of Frank Body. Welcome to Selfish, a podcast that is all about putting yourself first and redefining the word selfish. Over this content series, we're exploring a variety of topics with some amazing faces that you'll know, from self-awareness with Brooke Lurton to self-discovery with Jackie Gillies. We're also talking about self-pleasure with Chantelle Otten and self-wealth with the incredible Victoria Devine. Podcast episodes for Selfish drop weekly on Tuesdays alongside a whole bunch of amazing tools, tips and tricks from our team that you can find across the Frank Body social channels. Find us wherever you listen to your podcasts and let's get selfish together. We have the wonderful Courtney Act here. (laughs) Welcome. I can't make a full rotation on this chair. Hello, thanks for having me. We were just saying I don't think you really need an introduction. But we're asking everyone to do it. So I'm going to still throw you under the bus and just ask you to introduce yourself. (laughs) Uh, My name is Courtney Act. Uh, I guess people listening or watching, we're a multimedia format. Um, I remember like when I had a podcast and people are going, where can I watch this? I'm like, no, it's a podcast. You listen to it. But now everything's visual and so... You can't say that anymore. You can watch this podcast if you're listening. I do kind of miss that phase, like when we would do podcasts. I'm like, great. No makeup, no no hair, no outfit. Do it from a lounge. Um, My introduction. Well, I'm a drag performer, singer, TV, well, multiple reality television losing contestant. I thought you won. I did win one. Yeah. Celebrity Big Brother Um, in the UK, which... Was probably like the most impactful for me career wise, but mm. I was on RuPaul's Drag Race season six, which was 10 years ago. So, quite often, it's like a touchstone wow. that people, different, depends mm. on who you're talking to, but like younger people who have like just watched my season of Drag Race in the last few years, they'll come up and be like, oh my God, I loved your wings on Drag Race. And I'm like, Drag Race, Drag Race. <laughs> oh, yeah, 2014. Yeah, 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 no, I remember. Oh, no, <laughs> obviously, I, it's a big part of my career and I love it. But it is funny when people know you from different things. Old people come up and be like, oh, I love your interviews on the ABC. <laughs> oh, I love your old lady voice. <laughs> I know. Generic old, older <laughs> lady voice. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I'm a performer at heart, but I also, uh, I think my kink is... Um, shifting people's perceptions in incremental ways about things that they always afforded to be true. Mm. So just maybe taking people's assumptions of what a drag performer looks like, is like, what a queer person is, and and helping evolve or change or give a bigger insight into like who I am and hopefully mm-hmm. um, who other people are and, and, yeah, just bring a little bit more understanding and empathy. That's so – what a cool mission. And reminds me a lot of your time on Celebrity Big Brother and your interactions with Anne Whittacombe. Anne Whittacombe. Should I I give her an introduction? Yeah, go for it. 23 years of parliament. She voted against every single piece of pro-LGBT legislation that ever came before her. I mean, that was just the tip of the iceberg. You could you could continue on. She basically had voted against everybody's rights in that house. She was a older lady. She was 70, very conservative, but weirdly also like the most interesting person in the house. Yep. But yeah, I thought your interactions were very interesting to watch her and being so conservative. And I can't remember the exact quote, but she talked about, oh, you mentioned that she thanked you for your Mm. sort of calm approach to the conversations and being your open mindedness to her opinion. And I thought that was really interesting and probably had such an amazing impact on so many people who would have held conservative views and would have been watching that show. Like, we probably can't measure that impact. But Mm. it really stuck with me. Yeah, me too. And it was a very telling moment. And it was really, I think it was the first, I think it was the second day because I entered in drag and I remember that I was wearing like a little purple bow tie. So I wasn't in drag. And I remember after this conversation about marriage equality, as you call it, (laughs) um, she was like, oh, Thank you for, for that. Thank you for like, normally people would get angry or irate or mm. throw something or call me a bigot. or. And I think part of that is is I don't feel impacted by Anne's views. Yeah, like yeah. I think I'm old enough and I've had enough, of li- enough life experience that I know who I am and I'm comfortable in that. Mm. Um, so Anne saying like, you can't redefine the definition of marriage. And I'm like, well, we have, we have and... <laughs> 
we continue to do so. Mm. Um, I mean, she was Church of England, but she converted to the Catholicism when they started canonizing female priests because she just thought that was mm. a bit too, too, too progressive. <laughs> Women shouldn't be allowed to be priests. Um, and so you get that she does have she does have a mindset that is conservative, okay. as in wants things to stay the same, except probably when it comes to the environment, mm. which is ironic. But um, I realized in that moment that she wasn't used to being heard mm -hmm. and wasn't used to having conversations that, uh, I, yeah, I didn't agree with her opinions, obviously, but it was it was quite a powerful moment. And even her acknowledging that, I think, is that it's, a, it's those little moments that when you're on the outside, you sometimes think, like, I've I've had so many imaginary arguments with Piers Morgan mm. in my head. <laughs> we all. Yeah. Right? And I always think, like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll be the one. You. I'll yeah. tell him. And then whenever I get invited on his show, I think, I just don't want to give that oxygen. Um, so I don't do it. But I always think, like, oh, but I'll be the one who. Mm. And I think that's the problem is that we all, like, have that thought that, like, we'll be the one who'll, who'll like, finally make him see the light and understand the, you know, the world from a different point of view. <laughs> um, but with Anne, weirdly, I don't think that I really changed her thoughts. But I think maybe, like, the UK public in particular got to see, like, if they're an older conservative person, they were like, oh, and I mean, she said, I think the quote was, Shane's the kind of boy you'd like your grandson to be, but Courtney is a tart. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's, I love it. that's true. She's right on both accounts, I think. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think, you know, her, whilst I agree that I am a tart, um, I think she, you know, meant it in a, in a way to disparage, yeah. not to... Um, not as a praise that I would take it as. <laughs> That's so wonderful. But yeah, it was it was really interesting, like just having that like that moment where I, I realized that you can hear someone and have them hear you and kind of agree to disagree, which just feels like a slightly more peaceful way to go about life these days where everyone's just yelling very loudly at each yeah. other. So that's been a conscious shift for you. Not you haven't always taken that approach, rightly so. You've been angry at times, and you've. I think I've been pretty lucky that, like, I, I can't I can't remember ever sort of being vocally angry. I also think like I'm, I know what my limits are, and I won't start a fight that I can't win. Yeah. And so I think some of it is like knowing I'm like I'm, I know that I'm right about this but I I I don't want to like enter into a full-scale debate about this without mm. all of the facts because I think it's important to deliver the best sort of side of the argument that I can but I think part of my I guess my privilege is having a mum and dad who loved me and supported me always when I was younger yeah. and I think because of mm. that I've not had um, I sort of approach things with that like solid base, that solid foundation of yeah. feeling loved. So when somebody attacks something about my identity, I don't take it as personally. I realize it's more of a reflection of their limited view of who I am. Mm. Um, and usually, like thus far, I've been able to communicate with everybody mm. quite reasonably. I haven't had any, I mean, even online, I don't get like a lot of haters in the comments, which... I don't know. I've, again, every time I mention that, I'm like, oh, here they come. They're coming. They're gonna come. But it's definitely <laughs> obviously a part of internet culture. But I seem to, I, I don't know, people seem to receive what I do somewhat reasonably. Yeah. I try not to participate in the outrage culture of yeah. stuff. Look, I'm with you on yeah. any topic. I don't no. think that outrage culture is particularly helpful and healthy. I think there's, there's times to be angry mm. and yeah. need that to initiate change. But your example before like if you sat in a room with Piers Morgan and tried mm. to just scream at him well it's not getting through no but we can maybe pry the door open a little bit by yeah little or even like some doors aren't worth bothering Trying with to open. yeah like you're better off focusing your attention on maybe the people in the middle who right. are more reasonable and yeah. open to change yeah. you sorry no, you, no, you, you, go, go, you, go. <laughs> you mentioned your parents earlier um and having watched your Australian story we got to meet them they seem really beautiful they and are. wonderful. Um, and I don't like to make assumptions, but I probably did in that they seem to have played such a pivotal role in your life and um, the self-acceptance and 
you know, that true expression of self. Like mm. I think having that support from our loved ones is really important. Um, and the unfortunate reality for a lot of people in the queer community is that they just don't necessarily get that support and acceptance from their family. Yeah. What would you say to somebody who might be listening who's in that exact position now? They potentially want to be able to express who they are and haven't or have and have felt shame because of it. Yeah, it's really challenging. I think the the good thing about maybe living in 2024 as opposed to the 80s and 90s when I was growing up is that there was no visibility anywhere yeah. of queer people, really. Um, and even in the early 2000s, it was very limited. And so to feel that I was different, whatever that meant, like in high school, it wasn't even about like being attracted to guys because I hadn't really, I mean, I I was, a, I remember like having crushes on guys mm. and girls in school, but then it was more about the way that I was presenting in the schoolyard mm. that sort of led to bullying and stuff. It was about being, I guess, more feminine. Mm. Um, and so not having any examples of that, I always thought, oh God, there's something wrong with yeah. me. Mm. And that's where the shame comes from. I hope with younger people now, if they're, feeling like you know they're they're queer if they're or any part of their identity that's different and that they're not feeling support from their family hopefully there's enough support and examples in the community that they can understand that it's not them mm-hmm. um, and that it's more a reflection of of their family's limited understanding because I think like when it comes to who you love um, you know, as long as it's between two or more consenting adults, that's sort of the 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 that's sort of it. Yeah. I mean, if you're in love with somebody who's the same gender as you or a different gender than you, or maybe you've you know you're in a throuple, or who knows oh. what, mm. the sky's the limit. Um, well, there are limits, but um, <laughs> I think that like love and and celebrating attraction and difference of attraction is a really wonderful and important thing. And and if anything. Um, I think like queer people are even like liberating heteronormative people, if you will, on mm. um, the foundations of what their primary relationships mm-hmm. can look like. I know that um, because there's been no rule book for two guys in love, um, you know, as a, as a queer person, I've, I've gotten to like craft a lot of my own understandings of what that might look like. Um, sometimes, you know, queer people can end up being quite sort of heteronormative about their relationships, but one of the beauties of it is that you kind of get to make the rules yourself. And I think in doing so, then a lot of like, like straight friends of queer Mm. people are like, oh, well, Tim and Ben, you know, have this agreement or that agreement, Mm. or they talk about things this way and they, there's no man provider and woman who's you know being subservient or there's like there's all sorts of different options available and I think that's really cool that um, that queer people can um, sometimes feel shame because there's no examples of them around but actually in a way they're liberating other people from their own identities so it's not always a cross that everyone wants to bear Mm. but there is a little bit of um excitement in knowing that me being most authentically myself is something that might help even if it's just like your friends around you it doesn't have to be like you're on the telly and you're barking about it to the world yeah yeah i feel like there's a lot of shame across all people mm. in mm. Sexu- when it, especially when it comes to sexuality yeah. even with heterosexual relationships there's still such a blurry area and there's still so much that's not expressed yeah I want to talk a little bit about self-expression, mm-hmm. about healthy self-expression and about how drag became a way of expression for you. Yeah. When I was 18, I moved to Sydney and I loved performing. Growing up, I was like in a theatre school, so I was always dressing up in costumes and like I was a mouse in Cinderella or I was in like different musicals and pantomimes. And so it was the year 2000 and there was no social media, there was no Kardashians, there was no iPhones. It was a very different world. And the only information we could get about celebrities was like on the magazines that came out once a week and that news was already quite old but we didn't know that then and for me the drag queens on Oxford Street were like these local celebrities that I loved watching perform and they were like our Kardashians or our whoever like because they all had different personalities and you would get to know that and and watch them perform and I found that really exciting back then Um, and then 
being a performer myself, I started doing drag and then I found this lovely mix of being able to perform, which sort of out of drag, like as a boy in the year 2000, I don't know where I would have been able to express that, like mm. maybe like a karaoke night. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, whereas with drag, I was able to, ooh, I was able to sing, I was able to dance expressively, express myself like with costumes and hair and makeup. And then the added part to that was that it was feminine, mm. which sort of up until that point, and really for many years after that, there was a very compartmentalized idea of gender in my head where as Shane out of drag, I should be masculine. Mm -hmm. I wasn't, I felt miserably at it, but I always felt like I should be more yeah. masculine than mm -hmm. I was. And then as Courtney, I was just able to like be free, mm. which, you know, is obviously like more of a feminine presentation. And for many years, I think I felt like as Courtney, I had to be like as binary and feminine, like all of the, I just sort of pretend that I was a girl in a way. Um, whereas now I sort of think that this drag that I do is about expressing myself creatively. Mm. It's not necessarily about pretending to be a woman or impersonating a woman or anything like that. It's more just that I love, you know, makeup, just as many girls yeah. love makeup and costume and theater and get That's dressed fun. up to go out. This is sort of how I get dressed up to go out. And it's kind of a lovely way um, over the years to, yeah, find comfort and a safe place to express femininity. And then ultimately, I think I've really married the two and I've become like masculine and feminine isn't necessarily masculine, isn't necessarily male and feminine yeah. isn't necessarily female. Mm. It's more just sort of different types energies, of qualities definitely. and energies. Yeah. And I kind of like embodying all of those and not really thinking about oh, what am I supposed to do mm -hmm. and just doing like, oh, what do I feel like? feel like you have quite a powerful feminine energy mm -hmm. and I think sometimes people can associate femininity with timidness mm. or softness which is still a good thing yeah how did you go about defining what femininity meant to you and taking I guess the positive aspects of it yeah I think that it's funny Chaz Bono who's Cher's son yep. he and I were friends and I remember we're sitting on his couch chatting like early on in our friendship and he, I can't remember, he's, I think he's, he described that I had a feminine energy, which was about 2014. And I, I traditionally would have taken that as like a negative or like mm. as an attack almost. Like, I don't have feminine energy. What are you talking about? Like, I'm a boy. <laughs> um, but because Chaz is a friend and he's a trans man, so he's got this fascinating understanding of gender through his own journey. I like listen to him say that I had feminine energy and I was like okay rather than maybe I'll just listen to that and and take that on board and understand what that means and I think it's almost sometimes because the words feminine is associated with female and masculine is associated mm -hmm. with male I feel like I've been doing a lot of research lately about masculinity interestingly and it's almost like those words feel limited in what they're trying to describe. Because when you describe, listen to some like, not men's, not like incel men's podcasts, but some <laughs> some like educated men, not Jordan Peterson, um, <laughs> talk about masculinity. And, and this guy who's a professor describes masculinity. And I'm like, well, that's also femininity. Mm. Like uh, talking about like, leadership and nurturing and, and um, providing and protecting. And like, I think that, these ideas of what men are supposed to do and what women are supposed to do, they're kind of some of the things that are holding us behind, holding us back. Um, and I think um, feminine, I guess like, it's weird, right? Because like feminine energy, like in, in a book is like nurturing, it's compassionate, it's considerate, it's, um, it's more gentle or it's more, mm. but all of those things can be, uh, like and then masculine is like direct yeah. and mm. um, linear and strong and protecting and I don't know it feels yeah it feels kind of like limited for me to say like oh this is I don't know this is what women are supposed to be or this is what men are supposed to be because I think mm. all of us embody qualities that are both feminine and masculine oh, 100%. Um, and so sometimes when I think about like what is fem I'm almost, I almost feel like I'm post 
feminine or post-masculine where I'm like just me existing. But I do think that like those ideas of femininity and masculinity kind of helped me to understand where I laid maybe like on a spectrum of those qualities. Um, But ultimately now I'm just like, I don't, I don't, I think, I I don't know. It's like one of those things where I'm like, I don't think I've really thought about feminine and masculine because I'm like, I'm just being me, Mm. um, which is kind of a nice place to get to. Yeah. But I think that those labels and those words really helped me to get there. Yeah. Yeah. And then I suppose the introduction of the concept of gender fluidity, which now mm. feels like it's been around forever, but really hasn't been around mm. for that long. How has that shaped your self-expression over the years? Yeah. The idea that boys can be feminine and girls mm. can be masculine was a real revelation for me when Chaz actually brought it up in 2014. Mm. I was like, Really? I just never thought, I just always thought like boys had to be masculine and if mm-hmm. I wasn't that I was failing somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, so just that idea that however you present yourself and it's beyond like the physical trappings of like hair and makeup and jewelry. It's, I think it's more about like an, a, an internal sense of identity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's more just that liberating idea that however you actually feel on the inside is okay for you to show up as yeah definitely can you talk to us a little bit about your time going right back Mm. on Australian Idol yeah and how that shaped I guess Australia's perception of you it was 2003 so 21 years ago um I went along the first day out of drag as Shane and I got knocked back so I went back the next day in drag as Courtney and then made it through and again at that time like I was 21 And I just was doing what I loved. Mm. I don't think I was quite old enough or aware of the world enough to know that there was anything that could be wrong about me doing drag. Because I lived in a bubble in Oxford Street and everybody was gay and lots of people did drag and that was celebrated and it was a sort of totally normal. Mm -hmm. So to go on television and do it, I just almost expected everybody to... Um, accept me and and treat me the same Mm. and I kind of did um, which was great and then Dicko was someone who was a real hero and champion of me and I think he being British maybe grew up with a different idea of like drag and queer identity than a lot of Australian Mm. men might have and so he was quite happy to get on board and make jokes about me and he's you know his daughters loved me and what I did and I think he saw that and thought hang on a minute he's a record company executive there's there's something in this um and i feel that that was also his support was really instrumental in me being accepted the way that i was Mm. and today i still get people come up to me and say i remember watching on idol like coming either coming out to my parents or just having a conversation with my parents about like that girl is a guy and then explaining like these having these almost adult conversations with their parents even if they're not queer themselves but just Mm. the concept of gender or the concept of how somebody looks maybe being different to what you expect it Mm -hmm. to and that just shifting people's perceptions in a little way yeah if you strip away all of the hair and makeup Mm -hmm. and cute outfits by the way thank you are there things that courtney does or says that shane wouldn't do and vice versa like is there a dichotomy there between i think flirting with straight men <laughs> I, as Courtney I feel a confidence in doing that because even though I'm not you know textbook what they're attracted to I know that men are very visual creatures and they can't help but flirt and I can't help but flirt um, so I I do have friends though I I really admire like my like male friends who will flirt with straight men in a playful way because I think I maybe grew up in a world where like you didn't do that because you'd Mm. cop a punch Um, (laughs) and uh, I'd say like that's probably one of the real major differences I think I'm I think I'm pretty the same in drag or out of drag but I think when I'm in drag like it's an event and Mm. people like are like excited by you know the the visual that they see and um and then it's easy to flirt with straight men in in drag yeah but out of drag i have no power there so (laughs) you're gorgeous i'm just a gifted amateur out of drag (laughs) Uh, you're obviously a very powerful advocate for the queer community what is the message that you're most passionate about sharing 
I think it's something we touched on earlier, and it's just that idea that queer identity is simply about authenticity. Um, even if you think about the word queer, right? Like, I don't know, what's the opposite to queer? Like normal yeah. or like the default, like queer is something that's like weird or other or like out of the box of what is the status quo. And I think the status quo fits a lot of people, probably most people well enough. But because of that, people often who, you know, are straight and cis and have like, quote, normal. Normal is a cycle on a washing machine. People have like normal lives. <laughs> um, they kind of just go along without really ever questioning anything because everything does kind of fit yeah. well mm. enough. And I think one of the blessings of being queer is that like things didn't fit me and not even in a way that I could like conform. Like I was just irrepressible as a kid without being conscious of it. And I just sort of stood out even without trying. And then ultimately that's led me to be in a place where I questioned everything and mm. decided like, oh, actually does this fit? Like, do I want this? Like, whether it's like career, family, kids, dating, um, all of those things, I've I've sort of had a critical analysis of all of those things. And I can say that all of those facets of my life are very much authentically who I wanna be. Mm. Um, and I think that the the idea behind sort of the queer community is like who who do you love how, how do you express yourself and are those things what you were told they were supposed to be when you're growing up and i think that's kind of an important lesson for everybody even if the ultimate answer is oh yeah this status quo actually does fit me perfectly that's mm. also okay but um it's just about um yeah getting closer to the truth of what your identity is yeah. mm. you come across as quite confident and self-assured but you're human so I'm assuming you experience self-doubt like yeah. everybody else how does that show up for you now um I guess creatively most recently um I was doing a Sydney festival show and I was doing a new number and like Sydney festival it's this big glossy mm. arts festival and I was headlining a show really I should have just done something I had already done and mm. I knew would slay like try new material at like Newcastle Fringe. Yeah. I don't know if that's a thing. Sorry, Newcastle. Um, <laughs> we love you. And then and then know what works and do that on stage at Sydney Festival. But instead, everybody was like, there's new numbers. There's all this like excitement in the rehearsal period. And I decided to do a brand new number. And it was a bit of a deviation from the energy of the rest of the show. Mm. And I just, I had that like, that insecure artist brain, just not self-doubt and second guessing and, and but sort of still sticking to the process and the preview I was like oh maybe I should maybe I should just cut it I'll just sing the number straight mm. like don't worry about this story component that I'd added and then I really went away and sort of had a good chat to myself and I was like okay you've been doing this for 23 years you know what you're doing uh, instead of approaching this as I think I've often been like the younger person or the newbie and had that like um, bright-eyed approach to things and looking for validation mm. from others creatively or whether that's an audience or you know online or wherever and I had a moment where I was like hang on what if you're actually like really good at this thing and rather than wondering if you're good sort of approaching it as like as if you're more of a, a master at this cabaret thing and really interrogating this number and working out the weak points and the strengths and I went away and I spoke to a, a writer friend and we sort of workshopped it and I just tweaked little bits and I did it on opening mm -hmm. night and it was just like cabaret magic and I there was so validating and I know that like taking risks as a as anybody is important but I think my risks for the last few years have been a bit too safe mm. I think like with greater expectation of of me in the public eye delivering a, a high quality product I was like I don't want to take risks I just mm. want to like deliver yeah. something good um, but yeah it was kind of really validating that and then also hearing other people other artists in the show around me having their self-doubts um, was really lovely mm. because everybody particularly you know in the creative industries but obviously everybody has insecurities in general but with regards to performing I was surrounded by 
other people who were all questioning their numbers or not sure about mm. this. And it just helped me to remember that we all go through that. And quite often I'm doing solo shows. So it, that's all happening in my head, but mm. I don't see anybody else struggling. Um, and so that was that was like weirdly comforting. It's that thing that happens as you get older that you have more experience and mm. so you can look back and say, oh, there's all of these times I was really worried and most of the time, 99% of the time, that worry was not valid. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, yeah, just, just stepping back, taking a moment, having a chat with yourself, being objective about things and just trying to reframe it in a way that's more helpful. Yeah. I like that advice. Mm. Something else we've been talking a little bit about is how people set or how people can set healthy boundaries Mm. have you had any experience with pushing yourself too far out of your boundaries or learning how to set boundaries over the years yeah boundaries it's funny because boundaries as a concept feels like a new kind of not new new but kind of like buzzword it can be buzzy it can be buzzy but like boundaries are so important like knowing what you feel comfortable with I don't know, maybe I grew up in a world where you you kind of didn't have boundaries. We definitely didn't have language around what boundaries were. And you kind of just did, like, did stuff to please people mm. or help people or you'd extend you yourself yes. beyond. And yeah. yeah, you always said yes, um, which is not a, it's not a bad thing to say yes, but um, having those limits and understanding what you do feel comfortable with and then stating them can be really empowering not just for you but for the other person because Mm. sometimes when we're trying to please someone else's request like if you put yourself in their shoes they probably don't want you to feel uncomfortable either it's just that they don't know that you feel uncomfortable because you haven't expressed your boundary so perhaps in a practical term I'm trying to think of a practical boundary example this is a bit of a dumb one but I've joined Hinge mm-hmm. and I'm dating, like which, like I had other apps, but I was always a bit like, didn't didn't find them very fruitful. And then I've recently felt like my cold little dark heart sort of have a little spark and think like, oh, I'm, I'm ready to be hurt again. No, that's a, <laughs> it's a negative way of looking at things. But one of my... I guess it's a boundary when when mm. dating with apps is, which worked during COVID, but less so, definitely less so before COVID and less so after COVID, is a video date as the first date. Because, mm. I don't know, but you get to a first date with someone you've seen a few pictures of, you've had a little text chat with, and you usually know instantly mm. whether this is going to be the most painful 60 minutes of your week or not and so I do like a video date and sometimes people are like oh that's no I don't that actually only one person has said oh can I think about that and I was like yeah of course Mm. go for it think about it and then he was like oh I don't think I really feel comfortable with the video date and I'm like okay that's fine he's like okay so shall we meet up on Monday and I was like oh no (laughs) (laughs) that's my boundary (laughs) is that and honestly every I've, I've done it consistently and I haven't had any bad dates when I do it because I see their face you hear their voice you get a bit of a gauge of like their sense of humor what their voice sounds like how their face moves you can't smell them so (laughs) you know there's still some Mm. left to the unknown yeah but yeah I I kind of something that it's not it's not quite it is a boundary, but it's not quite the same no, I think thing as the thing that we're getting at. But yeah, I think that's great. That's yeah. so wonderful. Yeah, and it works. I love that. If I yeah. was single, I'd be yeah. doing that all over 100%. again. I really? you just don't have to leave. Yeah, get dressed. Trackies for the body down. We it's missed awesome. out on that whole. We did. We missed dating the dating app era. era. Yeah. yeah, it's probably <laughs> probably helpful. <laughs> I don't know if it's. It seems stressful. Yeah, I think that. Um, I, I think there'll be, like, we see, like, swings and, like, like the pendulum swinging mm. from left to right when it comes to any sort of social trend. And with dating, we've gotten so good at online and app dating, but I kind of feel there's a little bit of a return to, like, old school analog dating. Mm-hmm. 
and a friend of mine asked if I was open to being set up and I and we've been friends for like mm. 24 years so I was like okay yeah like if you think that this person and I will get on then I'm open to that I think you should be choosy about who you let set you up mm-hmm. but I'm kind of all about like the well the first the digital mm. screening but then the good old analog dating and like yeah. meeting people in real yeah. life through friends or friends of friends and I think like that old school dating just is a bit more real. I don't know. Yeah. I think you get that ability to have um, like that instant chemistry is mm. so – it's either there or it's not. Yeah. Mm. And that's potentially what's missing from the very first flat screen static yeah. photo version of online dating. So yeah. I feel like the video call is kind of cool in between. Yeah. It's okay like as good as you can get to real life yeah. without leaving the house. Yeah. I um I wonder if we're one of the first generations that's really focused on boundaries because so much of our life has been digital like mm. technology we're very similar in age all of us mm. in this discussion and technology has basically just outpaced our own growth and aging mm. and so we've been exposed to so many things we've had to keep up so quickly now it's just like no it's too fucking much mm. I have to put little protection mechanisms yeah. in place whereas maybe that's why our parents and previous generations never talked about it as much and it is buzzy for us. And I think they probably had more clearly defined roles, roles. and expectations, whereas like like men did this and women did that and you went and you mm. got a job and then you said goodbye and you went to work and you came mm. home and you kissed the kids goodnight and yep. it was kind of all there, whereas we're like just we're out every, there. <laughs> yeah, every direction, doing it all, following our dreams and and passions and so maybe we need those boundaries i mean another weird boundary is like the screen time Mm. on my phone Mm. i have my my social media which i always click ignore the limit but i have it set for like an hour a (laughs) day which i should probably just be more realistic and go for like two hours but that boundary that i've imposed is actually really helpful because it'll pop up and it'll be like ding that's your limit reach mm. for today. The other day it got to 11 p.m. and it popped up and I was like, oh, I made it all oh, the way I to 11 it. p.m. and I've, I'd only used 60 minutes of social media. That's so good. Um, but it just sort of like reminds me to like put my phone down mm. every 15 minutes, which yeah. I quite like. I tried that for so long. I reckon I had the screen time limit on for about two years and mm. I was like, yeah, I just kept hitting ignore, ignore, yeah. ignore. I just had to delete the apps. <laughs> I'm like, I clearly don't have very good self-control <laughs> so i'm an all or nothing type of gal yeah. i like a theme that's kept coming up today is this concept of fluidity and progression we're always changing mm. and evolving throughout our lives how has the way you show up as courtney changed over time and do you imagine a time where courtney might not show up at all um i i imagine from like a an absolute like vanity standpoint and also like having the energy like it's it's a lot of work, like doing hair and makeup and yeah. getting into drag. I mean, I'm not wearing heels now, but like wearing heels and like it's it's not comfortable. Mm. There might come a time where I just can't be bothered with yeah. the discomfort. <laughs> um, and I can imagine, like, I don't know. I feel like if you mean on my personal journey, will I always sort of be Courtney in some way? Uh, I think, like, internally, yes. Externally, I wonder, like, I don't know, I, I think about, like, I've always been, like, a vixen. Mm. And now I'm, uh, now I'm like, confronted with the same thing that women confront as they get older, which is, like, how to age gracefully. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I have the privilege that I could just, like, come out in a blue rinse wig and go straight from, like, vixen to maternal. <laughs> Uh, We've talked about dyeing our hair blue when we get old. Yeah. 100%. That is, that is my future self. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Down here. It's going to happen. Um, but I think, like, as far as, like, society goes as, like, a concept, like, gender being a concept, I think that, like, most people who are born female love the feminine, the more feminine things, mm-hmm. and most people who are born male love the more masculine things. Like, the, there's truth mm-hmm. to those ideas. Yep. But I think the problem is, is that for a long time we had very discrete boundaries on those identities. Mm. And I think that if those limits don't feel right to you, the important thing is to disregard them and do what feels true to yourself. And so I can imagine a world where like, 
like where like the idea of like gender and what what we like if you if you took what uh, a modern man looks like today mm. and what a modern woman looks like today like I don't know who are the like a I mean Kim Kardashian is probably like I was gonna say Chris Hemsworth but he's actually like so mask yeah but like um, I mean even remember when David Beckham was like wearing a headband mm, and like yeah, and, yeah. and that was like whoa what's he doing God, it was like breaking the space-time continuum <laughs> by keeping like, his hair out of his face yeah, yeah. like taking like a harry styles or a timothy mm. chalamet mm. imagine yeah. taking timothy chalamet and kylie jenner back to like 1985 yeah. and people would not know what's going on with either of them yeah. because they just wouldn't understand yeah. what kylie jenner was and i'm not even meaning this in You're a so in a right. rude way yeah, yeah. Just the the concept of that much hair and that much makeup and the like the the features of the mm. human body being what they are on her mm-hmm. is something that just didn't exist in the eighties. Like your Tony Armstrongs or your Hamish yeah. Blakes or your um, blokes who are on TV now. If you took them back to the eighties, men would be like, "Wow, what a fucking bunch of pansies!" <laughs> like they're all soft. And mm. I think there's something in that because we've seen just even in our lifetimes how gender has changed. Mm. And so I think the idea that gender is fluid isn't some like radical concept. Like we all have actual quantifiable evidence of how mm. gender has been fluid in our lifetimes yeah. with, with regards to what, how men and women performed masculinity and femininity over our lifetimes. And so I think that yeah, getting to a place where things like pink for girls and blue for boys or like trucks for boys and Barbies for girls. It's not saying that all boys have to wear dresses and play with Barbies at all. <laughs> it's just saying like what what feels like if you're a, a girl and you like science or you like cars or you like cooking, like mm. whatever it is, it should be available to you. 100%. Yeah. We, oh, you're probably going to say, say the same it's thing. It's funny because we, I feel like it is, like society is progressing so much, but we have young children and it blows my mind how gendered the clothing and the toys still are. Mm. And even though we are very, very open with whatever they want to buy, they do somehow, or they have, actually my three-year-old still loves wearing a tutu, which makes me really happy. <laughs> But it just happens yeah. that they end up with these trucks and they end up with blue. Yeah. And, like, there's so much of it that's unfortunately outside of your control. Yeah. And I'm surprised that society hasn't progressed quicker, to be honest. I remember on ABC, it was called Little Kids Big Questions. Mm. It was a segment that I did where I was there in drag and there was, like, young kids asking questions and there was a boy, I think his name was Leon, and he had like a little bow tie and he came prepared with his notes. And I remember him saying to me that he liked dancing. Oh, beautiful. And he said, but not like ballet, like with the tutu or anything like that. Oh. And he was like six. And I was like, oh, he's already like so defensive. Like this thing that he loves doing, he's already learnt that he has to correct himself mm. or like say, oh, not like that. And so obviously like his parents have supported him in in Mm. dancing and at dancing he would be surrounded with other kids who like dancing but somewhere someone's gotten to him and shamed him Mm. for wanting that and I think that um, having supportive parents who allow kids to express themselves however that is is obviously really important but then also like just because you give your kid a variety of toys doesn't mean the boys aren't still going to gravitate towards the trucks. A, maybe because just that's what they like, Mm -hmm. but then also because our whole society has been built around that idea of to reduce it down, blue for boys and pink for girls. Which interestingly, I think that only came into existence in the 1940s when um, retailers realised that people were passing Mm. clothes and toys on from generation to generation, whether they were boys or girls, because we didn't have a color-coded system. So the the marketing companies were like, oh, if we make blue for boys and pink for girls, then you can't give your pink clothes to your son <laughs> make more money. and we'll make more money. And that's how that whole concept of colored <gasps> yeah. genders, gendered toys and clothes came in. And so it's just fascinating to know that people will get outraged like wow pink you can't put that boy in pink or you can't put that girl in blue or like the toys have to be blue for boys and pink for girls and it's like well that's just actually a marketing scheme to sell more 
toys and clothes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to you. When really, if we did away with those concepts and just said, well, what what toys do you like? Yeah, I think it would be better for everybody, and everyone would save money. A hundred percent. One hundred percent. I find it really interesting. Um, like what I've caught myself doing on the flip side, like mm. trying. To, I've a daughter who's three, just turned three, and since she was born, I've been so aware of not imposing the sort of very restrictive and narrow views of what a girl or a mm. woman is supposed to be and, mm. like, introduce her to, like, the concept of gender neutrality early on. And when she starts to gravitate towards really girly things, I started panicking, like, <laughs> have I failed? Mm. Am I Have I fucked this all up as a mother? And she's just fucking – she just loves it. Like, yeah. she just loves mm, makeup. Thing. She, yeah. like, wants to sit there. She puts makeup on me. It goes mm. all over my face. And yeah. She just has a ball. And, like, maybe this doesn't need to be – as stressful as I'm making it and I can just I need to have more acceptance towards who she is even even if it means she gravitates <laughs> towards like societal norms yeah. and outdated mm. concepts it's been a really interesting self learning journey we talk about this a lot mm. with um being mums of young children <laughs> yeah it must be so interesting because you have these intellectual understandings of well you know what it was like growing up for you and you understand now as adults like men and women and gender and then you're trying to provide that to your kids but I think sometimes the whole I guess the whole point is just making sure that the opportunities are there and that the support is there and the understanding that like if you if it's makeup that you like then great but also she might also love science or Mm. something else as well and it's 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 allowing young people to express themselves Exactly. However, However that shows up, mm. yeah. And if it, and the thing is, the, the, there are reasons that those stereotypes exist, right? Like, whatever it is, I mean, makeup as a concept is obviously something we invented, mm-hmm. like, mm. but there is something about femininity that is more commonly associated with women, but it's just not making, making sure that we don't limit people yeah, mm. that to that narrow box. Um, do you have other drag identities that you express yourself through? Not really. Only sort of like jokingly. Yeah. There was like a summer where it was after Idol and I like it was like I think it was like I want to say it was like t- Christmas 2005, 2006 where I got offered this like job that wasn't like paying enough but I needed the money. And so I I said to them that I would do it but not as Courtney oh you can't afford Courtney yeah can't afford Courtney so you get (laughs) Roxanne Debris Um, and she was like more of like a drag queen like a loud nasal voice and big foam wigs and over the top costumes and like giant makeup and so that was kind of like a fun a fun while and she kind of lives on friends from Drag Race Willem and Alaska will will often like joke about Roxanne Debris (laughs) Um, in silly ways so it's almost like this idea of this like low rent low budget (laughs) drag persona (laughs) exists in the ether somewhere actually I was writing um, I've been working on a script uh, a fiction novel and the character is not me because it's fiction Mm -hmm. but at the moment her name is Courtney Mm. and I was trying to think of like I was thinking about changing her name so that it, I don't know, I haven't, I'll get to the end and I'll decide. I can just do a find and replace mm-hmm. all. Um, but I changed the boy name of the character to not Shane. Yeah. So mm. it's like caught at the moment, his name's Bronson. I don't know why it was, it's the first name, name that came to my head. Um, and then I was like, oh, maybe I could change her name to Roxanne Debris. Like maybe Roxanne, cause like Roxy, and I wanted to be a redhead as well. Yeah. And Roxy, Roxy feels like a redhead <laughs> name. I love like my the limit of my creativity was like she's a thirty something flame haired <laughs> podcast influencer, um, and so and then them a, around to take inspo from right. <laughs> and I picture you know I picture it being turned into a, a scripted TV series, and I picture being able to play myself. So I I was like I reckon I could I reckon with the right filters I could do early thirties, but I didn't want to stretch it to early twenties. <laughs> That's just foolish. No, um, believe in yourself. <laughs> <laughs> believe in yourself, no, but to be also be, a, be aware of the limitations yeah. of yourself. Yeah. I think Marsha Hines said to me on Australian Idol, and I only just worked out what it meant 20 years later, she said, know your limits. 
because we do we did grow up in a you can be do and have anything generation and i think that whilst that encouragement is wonderful i think also being aware of what your limits are Mm. is good too I think part of me not knowing what my limits were was why I got to where I did because I was completely unaffected by failure. I would just keep going and not really realise. But now that I get older, especially when it comes to performing, Mm. I would always try and like, I would whatever I was going to do, it was going to be to 100% of my Mm. capacity and then I'd get on stage and I'd probably end up doing it like 90%. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, maybe you're better off aiming for a smart 80%. (laughs) Giving yourself some like yeah. wiggle room mm-hmm. and doing that eighty yeah. percent really, really well, well. and great. once you do, then then go to eighty five and slowly work your way up. But that's great. Yeah, knowing your limits, I think that's exactly what Marsha meant, which was pick keys that are appropriate for your voice. <laughs> pick songs and keys that are appropriate for your voice. And leave the others for the shower. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Oh, what was yeah, your first book called? Uh, what was it called? Oh, Caught in the Act. And so, Caught in the Act. Yes. What was the- how did you find the difference between writing Caught in the Act and then a fiction? Yeah, book? it's well, what's interesting is that writing my memoir was the thing that made me want to write the fiction because mm. there was truth that I couldn't put in the memoir because it was nonfiction. And even though I was telling my story, obviously that involves lots of other people's mm-hmm. stories and you want to respect their boundaries. Um, and everybody who was mentioned in the book, I sent them the part about them and checked it was okay and made changes accordingly. And I thought, oh, there's actually just things that you can't say in nonfiction. You can, it felt like I could be more honest in mm, fiction, yep. even though it was not technically true. You can actually find the essence of the truth more because you're not restricted by yeah. other people's mm-hmm. feelings. And so the book um, really takes like a bunch of different life experiences uh, and combines them into one story um but the it's kind of lovely where you can just sort of you don't have to be bound by the truth or like maybe things didn't go a certain way and Mm. um and yeah it's really fun writing a, a fiction book and just becoming familiar with all the characters and thinking well what would this person do and what would they do and um yeah it's been it's been quite fun to do that there's three main characters and just understanding like what their histories are and why they would act a certain mm, way yeah. is a really fascinating psychological study yeah yeah well, i feel like you'd be so good at creating characters already <laughs> that'd be taking it to a whole new level yeah i mean my favorite part of like what was the meme that i read i've given up on dating for love now i'm just is it dating for love isn't working now i'm dating to conduct psychological experiments and collect data <laughs> that's that sort is of me between the ages of 15 and 30 yeah. yeah that's where i've been for like the last 10 years yeah. i think i've just been collecting data, data. for this fiction book so um, it's all research it's, it was all research it's, it's all tax, tax deduction, deduction. <laughs> So oh, we're going to be friends, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like we could ask you a million mm. questions all day, but I'm very conscious of your time. Um, I have a few final questions that I'd love to ask. So I just would like to know how you define the concept of self-expression. Hmm. For me, self-expression is something when you're in your teens and your 20s is more reactive to the world around you because you're trying on things Mm. and seeing what fits. And so I think it's different at different ages. Now, for me, self-expression is having had enough life experience to understand what I like and what I don't like and doing more of the things that I like. And, um, And by like... It's about feeling connected to that sense of self-understanding. Like when you do something, does it make you feel good inside? Like do you get Mm. those like literal pleasant sensations on your body that come from an internal sense of understanding as opposed to I did this thing and someone, other people think this thing's cool and other people like me now because I've done that, that does give you a sense of like feeling good, but it's almost like it's something that happens on the outside, from the outside Mm. in. Whereas I feel like self-expression 
can happen from the outside in and I think in our teens and 20s often that's how we learn like we mm. we listen to what's going on around us we see what things we gravitate towards we try them on we decide whether they fit us or whether we want to change them a little bit or whether they don't suit us at all when we discard them and then you kind of go on having a better understanding of mm. what your self-expression is I think sometimes people can get caught up in self-expression for external validation yeah. which like I said, is is fine as long as you eventually sort of learn that it's actually something that makes you feel good as well. Because I think as long as your validation is a, something that we as humans all seek. Mm. And I think for a long time I thought, no, I have to be completely independent and not require any sort of external validation. I have to be like strong and impervious. And I realized, oh, actually I'm a human and it's nice to feel like that validated by other people mm -hmm. but it's about um how how much you allow that to sort of impact your own sense of self yeah. i think having a strong sense of self and leading with um uh, leading by responding to the things that make you feel good inside is really helpful yeah love that yeah it's all about like the waiting like validation is totally fine and yeah it's human, it's human nature but maybe it's like the 80 20 rule yeah <laughs> like here 20 out there. Yeah. yeah like with like body stuff for most of my 20s i like i've always been doing drag and in the gay scene there's this real value put on muscles and mm. your body mm. and like looking like a hot slut which everyone you know in their own way well, maybe not everyone, but I love looking like a hot slut wherever I can. Um, <laughs> but in the gay scene, there was always this idea of like still masculinity being important yeah. mm. and muscles being important. And so I would like try and go to the gym and I'd be like, oh, I'm not I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough mm. unless I have muscles or I fit into mm -hmm. this sort of identity. And and so then I pushed against that for a long time. And then as I was approaching 40, I thought, oh, that's a, a real number when things start to change in your body and mm. decided that I wanted to focus a bit more on my fitness and started going to the gym and working out. And then um, my motivation, like I'd be lying if I didn't say that like I enjoy looking like a hot slut. Um, but I think maybe that's like 20, the validation that I get from the external is maybe 20% of why I do it. Mm. And I think that the the largest part of why I enjoy working out and going to the gym is actually about how I feel on mm. the inside, how my body feels, um, the endorphins yeah. hit yeah. that you get from working out, like all of those things. And even just the very literal, um, like, uh, it's almost like a sense of, there's not many things in your life that you can do and see a direct result. Like if you go and you work out consistently and your diet's consistent, then you see this like actual physical mm -hmm. change mm -hmm. in your body looking and feeling. Mm. And in a world of chaos, it's actually something that you can feel like a sense of empowerment over your effort. Yeah, you see like a physical result in your body and like chemically you feel a result and that's like really good. Obviously, there's parts where it can tip over into mm. unhealthy because you get a sense of control and that can turn into mm. other sorts of body dysmorphia and eating disorders and yeah. things like that. But in moderation, um, yeah, I've really enjoyed that sense of it. And so I'm, I, I, I like the, I like the part where I'm like, yeah, I do, I do like the way that I look, and I like that other people like the way that I look. Mm. And even though that's superficial, I think what I've worked out, it's it's not the majority of the driver and the mover of why I do it, mm. but it's still a part of being human. Yeah. And so I think making sure you get those balances about why you're doing things skewed, it should be you know 60% at least <laughs> for you. Of course, our final question that we're asking every guest is, I, what does it mean? Oh. I was gonna say, oh. I do actually have, was just before mentioning oh, drag names. I um, uh, get like pimples and bumps on the backs of my arm, oh. keritosis pilaris, yeah. which I thought, yep. I mean, I don't want to be called keritosis <laughs> as a drag name, but she like, does sound like a drag there. queen, Ooh, yes. um, which is why I do love the, the AHA and the lactic acid products to get rid of those bumps. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh. I have a little product plug that we yeah. didn't even ask for. I know. <laughs> but it's true. So but they are I'd throw that really in. beautiful products. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Sorry. Cool. No, you're Last fine. question. Last question is what does it mean to you to be selfish? Um, I think it's a boundaries thing. I think it's about being aware of how I feel. I, I think like I love being social, but then I also like my solitude and it's knowing in my calendar, like I've been actually looking at my calendar over the next 10 days and I'm like, I don't think you have enough selfish time in there yeah, to yeah, just be at home by that. yourself. Like Monday I've got nothing on, but I am planning on getting drunk on Sunday night, so I'll probably be a bit hungover. So that doesn't count it's as not quality selfish, quality time, selfish no. time. It's just like trying to survive selfish time. Um, so, yeah, I think it's about me having those boundaries with my time mm. and being able to like have me time. And that that's really kind of just not being around other humans. Mm. It's just being at home. It can mean reading a book, it can mean napping, it can mean like going down to the beach and going for a walk. But mm. just, it's about solitude for me, selfishness, I think. So mm. beautiful. Thank you Thanks. so much for your time. Thank you, yeah. it's lovely to talk to you both. It was both. a great chat. Thank, Thank you. you so much. This episode of Selfish was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always would be Wurundjeri land.